Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I would say this to guys and gals who are leading and who are younger, that when you get frustrated with an institution because you feel like it constricts you a little bit and it puts checks on you and you can't do or say everything that you want to do or say, that is actually, there's a really positive side to that. We really ought to not say everything that we want to say sometimes or do everything that we want to do. We ought to, uh, we need institutions to shape us. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, how how is Texas weather right now? Tennessee, you left it. It's, it's kind of fall, crisp weather up here. I feel like it's not the same down there. It, it is right now. Really? So like, yeah, I've got a jacket. I've been cold in the house, but okay. it's a lie. I've been told by Texans that, you know, summer's going to come back one more time <laughs> before fall hits here. So I'm trying to trying to enjoy it while I can. But I actually, I actually just got done watching a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of that? We watched it last week. I'm a little bit shook right now. I'm a little <laughs> bit worried. It, it sent me. It sent me a bit. So I'm trying to trying to figure out if I can get through this podcast. I've got all kinds of thoughts. But really, I'm excited because today we have a great guest. His name is Bruce Ashford, who is professor of theology and culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he has worked on the mission field in over 40 countries. He's the author of Letters to an American Christian, One Nation Under God, and his latest, which is really good timing. And I wonder if he did this on purpose, but his latest, <laughs> How to Survive an Election Season. Bruce, we're so excited to have you on today. How are you doing, brother? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on the show. We're going to have fun. So well, he was he was threatening us with yelling and potentially crying. I don't know if there's a threat, but maybe something to look forward to in this podcast. Hey, well, I got I got started preaching in independent Baptist circles, and uh, a lot of times we did you know a lot of yelling in the sermons, and then crying, and then then more yelling. So, but I'll I'll try not to do that on your fine uh, podcast today. <laughs> Love it. Well, Bruce, just as Josh was sharing in your bio, he mentioned you're at you're at Southeastern and. I'm sure this this season has affected everyone, but I know for you all, you're trying to figure out, hey, how do we still have classes? How do we still continue education in the midst of social distancing? What have the past six months looked like for Southeastern and kind of how have you guys navigated some of this craziness? Yeah, so this was kind of the great unknown for us as for uh, pretty much everyone else, everyone else in the world. And oh, what it looked like for us is that the, uh, I served on President's Cabinet for about, uh, for for more than a decade and just recently stepped down to get back in the classroom. But our cabinet uh, was meeting regularly, uh, usually by Zoom, uh, to just try to respond on the fly to uh, uh, quickly changing circumstances and information and misinformation about the virus. And it was really good, I think, for our team that to be able to come together that quickly and to pull off some major changes within our institution. And, and certainly it wasn't seamless, but uh, we were able to do it, and I think, do it well. How, how so when when this first hit i'm sure you guys had to shut down campus and try to figure that out have you guys been able to welcome some students back onto campus recently or what does that look like oh yeah we've got um a number of our classes are meeting the classes that uh you know you have to have a certain student to classroom size ratio in order to do social distancing so some of our classes won't be able to meet just here for that reason but yes we've got uh on-campus offerings we have hybrid offerings 
and uh, fully online offerings all going on at the same time right now. Awesome. Well, I know that's a lot of trying to figure out on the fly, just as you said. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot of learning in that. And, you know, a lot of our listeners, maybe you're continuing your education through a seminary and you're probably walking through some of that as well. So thanks for walking through that with us. So let's hop into the podcast here and excited to hear about your leadership journey, Bruce. So go ahead and walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that have led you to Southeastern. Yeah, so one of the first, uh, really probably the first time I found myself uh, actually leading something, um, it was actually outside of a formal institution when I was in college. Uh, a good friend of mine, actually, uh, right now the SBC president, J.D. Greer, and I and a few of our buddies started a Bible study. It ended up becoming something of a movement on our campus, and we saw, um, uh, we learned how to lead. And it was, it's an interesting type of leadership when there's not um, an official organization, an institution that you're at the helm of, and all you've got is, you know, your ability to persuade. And the Lord uh, uh, blessed that, taught us a lot. We made plenty of mistakes, but for four years, we led a, a Bible study that ended up becoming somewhat of a, a movement on campus. Um, uh, then in terms of institutional leadership, I served as the director for the Center for Great Mission Studies at Southeastern for five or six years and led our, our missions programs. And then as the dean of the college for a number of years, and then finally as provost and dean of the faculty. And then these days, uh, right now, what I'm focusing on is what some people might call fault leadership. And that is what I'm most interested in at the moment is helping people to think well, uh, to think clearly, to think Christianly, uh, especially about matters of uh, public import. That's a perfect, it's a perfect segue because this podcast is to help young leaders think clearly sooner, right? We want to get them there a little bit more quickly by exploring a lot of the unseen stories um, and in that leader's past that we're having a conversation with. Uh, so Bruce, like looking back at your leadership, we just uh, saw some of the different offices you've held and the different leadership assignments that the Lord placed in your journey. But looking back, when would you say you had the realization just introspectively that you realized I am a leader, you know, that, that moment, that light bulb moment where you realized God had given you a mantle of leadership in your life. Yeah. You know, it probably, probably was college. Uh, when, when I began, when we began this Bible study and uh, often having hundreds of students at, at this Bible study and, and uh, leading them spiritually. And then also there was a moment um, when I discovered first things magazine, it's a, it's a Christian magazine that uh, deals with issues at the intersection of Christianity, politics, and public life, Christianity in the arts, Christianity in the sciences. It's a very thoughtful, uh, the articles are for uh, well-informed and well-educated people, but for a general readership. Um, and uh, there was a man named Richard John Newhouse, who was the editor of, of the magazine, and he had marched with MLK back in the day and had been uh, to, to the left politically, but when Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, he moved to the right. And what I saw in him and his leadership of this magazine is what I wished that in a, in a, in a, uh, in some way or another, the Lord could use me to do what I saw is this man who was, he was smart, but he used words. Well, you know, he was witty when he needed to be witty. He was uh, persuasive in other ways, uh, in his columns, he could, uh, he could reason with you. He could persuade you. He could mock if he needed uh, bad ideas. And and uh, he had a column at the end of First Things Magazine called "While We're at It," 
And it was so much fun because he took like 30 different things that happened during the month. It's a published monthly first things is. And he would then give his one paragraph comment on these 30 things that happened. And sometimes it was a laugh out loud gut buster making fun of liberals or pro-abortion uh, ideas or, you know, whatever. Or maybe it was just an incisive comment. And I thought, you know, one day I'd like to do that. I'd like to be able to write like that. So you mentioned that when you were in college, you were you were leading without the institution above you. And then you went straight. It sounded like maybe not straight into, but one of your, your next roles was leading at an institutional level. So there are some who are leading uh, in college or maybe it's outside of college with with less of the institution above them. Um, what were some of the changes that you had to navigate through that? Like there's more. It's less of, hey, the four of us have decided we're going to make this decision, so we're going to do this. And instead it is, hey, we need to go through the proper channels. We need to make sure that we are, you know, checking all the all the boxes on this to yeah. make sure that we we follow through with this. So how did you navigate that? And maybe for, for some young leaders who are stepping into more of that institutional leadership position, what advice would you share with them? Yeah, so it is a, it is a, a quite the change from uh, leading kind of a movement that of your own that you and some friends started, and then moving into an institution that has history, tradition, um, rules, and authority, hierarchy. And Americans don't like that. We're very anti-institutional in general, and especially these days are anti-institutional. But what I learned and have really learned recently is that institutions um, are good things, and they should shape us. Now, right now, most Americans, including our political leaders, view institutions as stepping stones and platforms. And so they use an institution to promote their own name. And this is very sad, very unfortunate. Uh, there was a day in which people um, allowed an institution to shape them. And then they served that institution with integrity for years. And I, um, I would say this to guys and gals who are leading and who are younger. That when you get frustrated with an institution because you feel like it constricts you a little bit and it puts checks on you and you can't do or say everything that you want to do or say, that is actually, there's a really positive side to that. We really ought to not say everything that we want to say mm. sometimes or do everything that we want to do. We ought to, uh, we need institutions to shape us. And uh, we also need um, young men and women who want to lead to embrace institutions. There's a great book by Yuval Levine called A Time to Build. And he argues that the signal failure in the United States right now that has led to the kind of nastiness that we see is a failure of institutions, a failure of the American people to trust institutions, and a failure of leaders to invest their lives in institutions, opting instead to use institutions as platforms so that they can have a personal megaphone. And so I would just encourage folks to embrace the uh, challenge of leading within an institution that has a hierarchy and order and structure, even when you make it kind of chafes you a little bit, embrace it. Hmm. And such wise advice. And it, like you said, it really does. You feel it kind of pushing against our culture right now where it's, Hey, you can go there for a season and, and you can use it to move on and, and kind of move yourself forward. And I, I very much appreciate that. Um, so thank you for answering in that way. Now you were, you were talking about, cause we, we talked to leaders of all different spaces. And of course there's leadership where you're, you're leading an organization and a team, but what you were talking about with uh, the column of writing that you, you were 
impacted by and you felt God kind of place that on you where you said, Hey, I want to, I want to be that someday. I want to use words to lead people to impact culture. So you, you've kind of led in both ways where, you know, you were, you're at Southeastern, you're, you're leading the organization, you're leading the seminary, but you're also, as you said, you're a thought leader and you're leading with, with words, you know, some people would think, Oh, one, one is leadership. One is more of writing for the culture. How have you been able to see your words and what you've written? How has that impacted others? And how have you been able to lead others in that? Cause I think that's an awesome gift that the Lord gives. Yeah. You know, when I was, a, when, I, when, I, when I was younger, I was so influenced by words that other people had written, you know, books influenced me significantly. My parents gave me books all the time and I listened to speeches by Ronald Reagan and by any number of public figures and words have been very influential on me. And I, I would have prayed and hope that God will teach me to craft really good sentences and to use good words and to build good arguments. And uh, it, it can be gratifying uh, when you publish a book or I'm also a speech writer. I write uh, speeches for elected officials and I write opinion, opinion pieces and, and that kind of thing. It can be very gratifying to see people um, people's minds changed or to see people who have the right idea and I help confirm in them the right idea about uh, something. I will say that when you when you went to the American public right now, I was a columnist for uh, Fox News opinion for about four years and then for the Heritage Foundation and uh, now I'm starting a, a role as a columnist at First Things uh, Magazine actually. Oh, that's really cool. And uh, with the American public right now, you're, you're the majority of responses you're going to get to your writing with for, for national opinion pieces is going to be criticism. 95% will be mockery and insults. Uh, 3% will be criticism and 2% will be someone reaching out and saying, hey, man, this really helped me. Thank you. Just because of how uh, charged the discourse is, how many trolls there are uh, you know, out there on the interwebs uh, these yeah. days. But it can be very gratifying when you when somebody reaches out to you and says, thank you so much for this piece. It helped me. Thank you for this book that you wrote. Uh, very gratifying. But, you know, you have to write things for the Lord. Uh, he's the first and foremost audience. And then you have to hand it over to him and see if he'll give it influence or not. And sometimes something that you write uh, has quite a bit of influence and you didn't think it would. And then sometimes I write something that uh I think it's pretty doggone good and it has very little uptake. Apparently it doesn't help anybody. So, uh, you, you write it as unto the Lord and see what he does with it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. You know, I, Bruce, I think you would agree. I don't want to speak for you, but I think you would agree that um, whatever current moment we're living in now has been shaped by a lot of moments that we've lived in in the past um, and decisions to do something or not to do something, circumstances that happened to us. So looking back at your past, what would you say was like a pivotal moment or like moments that you look back on that really changed your leadership or changed your life even? Yeah, you know, um, I think a, a pivotal moment, and this is another question that you had mentioned uh, uh at one point, as we were talking before the, the podcast, biggest mistake, I think a, a, a couple of early pivotal moments for me is that I did not handle uh, criticism well, that I let it up, upset my e equilibrium. And uh, you need to just know if you're going into a leadership role that there will be naysayers and critics, and sometimes they will be very unfair. Sometimes you'll have people misrepresent you 
and uh, do very kind of awful things to undermine your leadership. And you've got to find ways of just kind of stepping away from that personally and not letting it. Um, on the one hand, you don't want to ignore goodwill criticism, right? You need to learn from that. Yeah. But I think for me, the harder is bad will criticism. I didn't, I, you know, I just, I think when I was younger, I, that I thought that if I was a good leader, I would get universal acclaim. <laughs> that's just never going to happen. If you're really leading, really leading out, you're going to get some serious criticism. Much of, much of it will be unfair or inaccurate. And you just got to learn to deal with it and move past it. See it for what it is. Okay. Get criticized and just uh, move forward and don't let it sort of uh, overturn that before. Bruce, what do you, so when thinking back when you were young, maybe even now too, because I'm like trying to analyze myself too and how I receive criticism now. Um, I mean, Haley and I talk about that all the time, by the way, you know, my wife, we, we, we figure out how, how I handle feedback. Um, <laughs> but like thinking through that, what did you receive? Like maybe what was harder for you to hear something that wasn't true that people were saying about you? Um, or maybe something that was like true and it was just like a really hard piece of feedback that you needed to hear. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I don't know which one is tougher. They're both tough. Yeah. You know, when somebody, uh, makes a critique uh, and you see that you really failed at something or that you did not lead well, you know, that, that doesn't feel good because the, you, what you're trying to do is to help people and lead well. And then, but I think if I had to pick, I, I think unfair criticism, at least for me, especially when I was younger, unfair and inaccurate criticism um, bothered me more than it should. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just need to view that for what it is. It is what it is. God can yeah. take care of our reputation and uh, God can take care of the critics and let trolls be trolls. Yeah. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said that. And I can imagine like as a thought leader and even a writer, you could say something and somebody develops this thought off of what you said. And all of a sudden you hate all people that ever walked the planet. You're like, I don't, eight people. That's not what I meant by that. Um, how hard that is to bear in some seasons, I'm sure. Um, because whether we like it or not, perception is reality at times for people. Yeah, and, that really is true. I mean, some, some of the people who criticize you unfairly will have a big following and all the people who follow them are slavishly beholden to them. And it is what it is. You just have to deal, deal with the fact that uh, God can sort that stuff out and yeah. shouldn't uh, upset your sleep at night. Yeah, super wise. Especially yeah, we, as a young. Sorry, Chandler. Especially as a young leader, I, yeah. Don't don't let that upset your sleep at night. I think that's a really good word, Bruce. Like, pick up the ball where you can, steward what you can as a young leader. Um, if you did things in authenticity and following the spirit and being in obedience, like it, it will take care of itself. It will work itself out. Bruce, you mentioned when you're writing, you know, ninety five percent is criticism. And then there's only that 2% of somebody reaching out and saying, thank you, this impacted me. Uh, first off, I hear that and I'm thinking, man, I should be part of that 2% more often to, to increase that. There's When somebody's work impacts us, we should reach out more often. Like I heard, you'd probably agree with this, but I've heard many authors say, uh, you know, people think all the time, I hear, I hear how much my work impacted people, but I actually don't. And when I get that one email, that one letter, uh, it means the world to me. So hearing that is we especially as believers, we should be encouraging one another. Thank you for writing this, this impacted me. So when I heard that, that was my first thought, but then also, I mean, I feel that 90, that those percentages are pretty close also just in leadership in general. I mean, you don't, there's not many times that people are going to always come up and tell you, Hey, you did a great job. It's more of the, just as you're talking about trolls will be trolls. Uh, 
So, and you've unpacked this a good bit, but how do you make sure that you are still staying grounded and making sure that, I mean, cause that can be exhausting if you just, if you hear over and over again. So for maybe there is a young leader now who's, who's stepped into leadership and they're just feeling head down. They're feeling like they're getting kicked over and over again. What, what advice would you share of saying, Hey, you're doing this for the Lord. And here's, here's how to surround yourself with encouragement or, or reach out to others. What is maybe just one or two practical things that you'd share? Yeah, so I think one, one thing that's helpful is to have some things in your life that are more important than your vocation. Mm. Uh, it might be wives and children, parents, church, and and those things ground us in reality, and they shape us, and they show us who we are. And uh, it, my worth and value as a person is found in relationship to God, also in relationship to my wife and children, relationship to my parents, my church. And uh, less so is my work or value bound up with uh, what some random people or even people who aren't random, you know, think, think about how well I've led or, or haven't led in a certain uh, situation. So I think that's helpful. Have some things that are more important. And if your your leadership role at a given institution is far and away the most important thing in your life, maybe rethink your life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Good word. as wise advice. Bruce, when you were just starting to lead, Knowing all the books you've read now and uh, all the articles you've consumed, like what book do you wish someone first gave you? Well, I'm going to do the first thing that a guest does is I'm going to rephrase your question and I'm going to give two books. Perfect. I don't and, uh, know that here. We're totally it's so hard for me. I, I, have, I, I fail all the time when, it, when I'm supposed to pick one thing. Um, <laughs> I would say a good biography. I, I love biographies. Bi- biographies have played a, a, uh, an outsized role in my life. My parents started giving me biographies when I was uh, four years old, when I first started reading little, little kids' biographies. And I've read a number of those. I would read a good biography of Winston Churchill or somebody like him. Maybe Ronald Reagan, a great leader, but I think Winston Churchill is a leader of world historical uh, significance. If you want a very short one, you can read uh, the one by Paul Johnson, uh, aptly entitled Churchill, and then a longer one-volume biography by Andrew Roberts, uh, also very well titled, Winston Churchill, uh, Walking (laughs) with Destiny. So, you know, and then I wish somebody had early on giving me a good biography of Abraham Kuyper. Now, if you're out here listening, you may have no idea who Abraham Kuyper is. Let me tell you, Father Abraham was a, uh, a Dutch uh, leader who started out as a, a very young liberal pastor, had a conversion experience, and and, and came to believe uh, the faith as delivered once for all to the saints, him conservative, uh, in his uh, reading and, and trust and understanding of Scripture. And then he ended up founding a uh, university, Free University of Amsterdam, founded a national newspaper, founded a political party that became a major player, became a member of parliament, and then became the prime minister of the Netherlands. And did all that while writing more than 25 books. Wow. <laughs> and he was what you could call today a public theologian. And this is someone who takes the truths of Christianity and tries to apply them to matters in public life. And that was kind of the focus of what he did. And he was. Not a perfect leader by any means, but similar to Richard John Newhouse, he uh, was doing the kind of thing that I want to do with my life. And I think people can learn from his uh, um, virtues and his vices. You know, Mm. he uh, put too much significance in his career and had a couple of nervous breakdowns and stopped attending church for a while so that he could do his writing on Sunday mornings. And uh, so so there and he he, um, like many people of his day had a 
uh, at, was was racist. And that came out in a couple of things that he said and wrote. And so you can learn from virtues and vices of, of a person. And his, his, uh, the virtues of him is he was incredibly hardworking. He could adjust uh, and he could persuade a, a blue collar audience just as easily as he could persuade a white collar audience. And he could persuade by spoken word and by written word. And he could lead within an institution and also outside of the institution. So I just think he was a, a person that I could have learned a lot from. And I hate that I discovered him. I wish I discovered him in my teens. Yeah. I read something about him at that time. Hmm. Well, Josh is going to laugh and probably roll his eyes because we talk about this all the time. But <clears throat> I love reading presidential biographies yeah. and just hearing you talk about um, reading biographies really resonates with me. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, I got these little blue biographies of like Benjamin Franklin and other you know American leaders. And I loved them. And I didn't realize how much they impacted me. Um, so I, I really resonate with your answer on that. Uh, what on my want to read list is the last lion, just the ginormous volume of all the Churchill biographies. Mm -hmm. Uh, have you read that one? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, that is the best. Yeah. I didn't list it as a multi-volume because a number of people in Merca who are ready to read a multi-volume biography can probably count them on the one hand of a bad woodshop teacher. <laughs> so, uh, I just thought I would list a one volume no, for sure. I, it just looks like a grind. I'm like, I don't even know if I could, if I could complete it, but I do want to ask, um, cause I, there are a lot of things that when I read somebody else's life and you can see in the span of just as you said, virtues and vices, but from a Christian perspective, how can, how should we read biographies? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a presidential biography. Maybe it is Winston Churchill. And how do we make sure that we're taking the, it's easy to read that and be like, we need to do these things. I need to work this hard and neglect these other things. How do you read it with a Christian mindset and, and bring those things into your own life and lead in a Christ-like way and not model the leadership of maybe just another man or woman? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think often we engage in confirmation bias. So we get the biography of somebody who we think is awesome and then we read it and so, well, if he did all these incredible things, then maybe I should do things exactly the way this, this person did. And that's not a good way to read a biography or a good way to write one. A writer should be appropriately critical. And we should always realize that unless it's a biography of Jesus Christ, then you're dealing with a deeply flawed human being. Mm. And you don't want to imitate everything that such and such uh, person says or does. I love reading biographies of Winston Churchill. He was a deeply flawed man. So was Abraham Kuyper. You know, all of the people we admire, if they've done something big in life as a leader, they'd probably have also messed up big time and their flaws have been magnified. Um, and so just expect that and, and look for it, I think. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Well, let's let's go back to, once again, your younger self kind of just stepping into leadership. Maybe this was in college. Maybe this was when you were stepping in to your first role at an institution. What was your biggest misconception getting started? I think that I wasn't expecting crisis moments and I wasn't expecting, as I mentioned earlier, intense criticism, sometimes unfair, but it's really during moments of crisis and criticism that as a leader, you've really got to step up and show resolve, humility, this combination that um, Jim Collins always uh, did his exact language. I think uh, talk about leaders having a unique combination of, uh, uh, personal resolve and professional humility. Mm -hmm. And that's a really good way to put it. You've got to have a steady hand at the helm. You have to be determined. You have to be strong. 
And at the same time, you have to be humble. When criticism comes in that is should, should help you, then you, you receive it well and you eat, eat some growth if you need to and, and let it improve you. And uh, even when the criticisms that come in are wrong and offered in the wrong spirit, you can still uh, respond in a way that's not degrading and demeaning to the person with uh, some um, a bit of humility. And I've, I've been uh, very imperfect at that over the years. It's something I'll have to, to work on for the rest of my life, how to respond appropriately or how to not respond. For example, the trolls never respond to trolls. <laughs> Only if it's a calculated uh, attempt to have a little fun. Yeah. Don't ever expect to, to convince a troll of anything. In fact, I've written a, an article, it's one of the top articles on my website called Six Different Types of Internet Trolls, or Seven, I forget. And uh, I treat them as species in uh, wildlife. And then oh, give man. advice on how to respond and not respond to them. Um, but yeah, uh, having a steady hand and um, resolve and humility during moments of crisis and, and or criticism. Hmm. I feel like that idea has popped up over the past probably five to 10 episodes stated in different ways. And I feel like the way that, you know, Jim Collins stated it and just even as you put it there is just, it's really convicting. And, and for me, as I hear that, I think that that type of humility with, you know, tough skin and a soft heart, whatever that looks like to resolve also with, with humility. And that only comes from spending time with the Lord. I mean, you can, you can work towards it, but a true heart that is humble, but it's also going to push when it, when need be, I feel like that just simply comes from constant time, a habit of being with the Lord and uh, convicting for me. And as you stated that, so thanks for sharing that. Let's move to the quick hitter questions here. And these are going to be short one minute answers. And we'll get started with this one, Bruce. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Well, the past six to eight months have been a big disruption of what I normally do. But I'll tell you what I've normally done okay. for uh, the past 20 some years. <clears throat> I like to get up around five or six and uh, have a breakfast, two or three coffees. And uh, uh, normally have about an hour of quiet time that usually involves scripture memory. And I think mem memorization is a very important um, habit for a leader. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. Uh, scripture memory. Um, and then I journal. And usually my journal journaling is uh, after I read scripture or memorize scripture, my journaling is usually a prayer to God. And uh, that's a, a great way to launch into the day. Then I've normally spent between 30 and 60 minutes reading uh, mailers. I get uh, news and opinion mailers from seven or eight different outlets, and I skim the headlines, find articles that I want to read, read them quickly. They're very short. Americans won't read anything more than six to 800 words. And so almost all of them are, unless it's New York Times, they'll publish something that's 1,000 or 1,200. So I, I, I have kept up with the news and um, uh, try uh, to put in a, a good, a solid work day and have started blocking off lunches and not using those for work, using that as a break in the middle of the day to refresh and rejuvenate a little bit. I like to work out late in the afternoon, right before dinner, in order to create uh, enormous um, hunger so that I can <laughs> eat a good dinner. Now, I like to work out late in the afternoon, honestly, because the afternoon is a time when I sag and uh, don't leave well. I don't have energy in the afternoon. I think a lot of people find that. And so you can either take a nap or you can go work out. And I think a good workout late in the afternoon is a good thing to put the day up then uh, head home, try to be all in with the family. And, um, and then maybe sometimes I'm, I'm able to put in a little more work, a little more writing in the, in the evening. Mm. What's your favorite personality test? 
Well, again, I'm going to throw you for a loop. I'm going to mention two. So if it comes to a, per, a person's uh, personal life, just kind of understanding uh, yourself. I do I do like the Enneagram quite a bit. And I'm a, number, I'm a one, you know, a reformer, someone who wants to uh, make the world a better place and help people think better. No, it's just very boring kind of personality, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then I like the predictive index. Uh, as a um, way of profiling what a person is going to be like in the workplace. And on that one, I'm a strategist. And I am all the way at the top of the chart as a strategist. It's, it's an extreme. So I'm a long-term thinker. And uh, my other qualities are a lot more moderate. But on that one, I'm almost off the chart. And you said that's the predictive index? Yeah, the predictive index. I'm not sure if I've heard that one on here before, Chandler. Have you? I have not. Yeah, it's very good. It's showing uh, what um, leaders will look like within a leadership team sort of focuses on at an organization and what role you'll play. And then it analyzes the whole team and it shows, all right, so you've got a team of six DPs or MPPs or five pastors or whatever you have. And here's the qualities that are missing. You know, wow. you've got these five or six people, and but there's these 10 or 12 qualities and none of you have quality A or B. Hmm. You know? So maybe you need to work on that. Find somebody to be a part of your team who is yeah. who exhibits that quality, or find somebody within your organization who they may not be a member of the leadership team, but they exhibit qualities A and B, and let them speak into your decision, run things by them. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful. So you take right. it as a team, or do you take it separately? Then you come back and your results are together, or is it kind of all combined together? You just uh, usually take it on the computer separately, and then they put the the. Um, uh, results together for you and, and okay. give you kind of a, a, t- a handout that shows, hey, here's what your team's going to be good at. Here's what you're not going to be good at. Here's the role you play, the role you play, the role you play. Yeah. It's going to be pretty humorous, too, you know, because when you see these personality tests, when people read, you know, when you make them read their own profile, it can be pretty funny. Because yeah. <laughs> the profile nails it usually. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, if, you've got a, if you've got a good camaraderie among your leadership team, it can be fun to do. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. What's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? I memorize things. And I think memory is very important just in pedagogical theory, learning theory, uh, that the the early years of a person's life should involve lots of memorization. That's a very un-American thing. Uh, We're we're tend to just want, uh, you know, we we think that's restrictive, but I think you memorize content blocks of information. And then as kids get older, you want to focus a little bit more on analyzing between those content blocks of information analysis. And then as a kid gets even older than that, you want to focus on communication of what you've just understood and analyzed. And as we grow older, I think that memorization is really important. I'll give you a couple of few examples of what that looks like. One is memorizing scripture. I think for someone who's a Christian, who's a Christian leader, there's uh, very little better than we can do better. We can do than to um, have God's word written into our mind and written onto our hearts. Another thing that I do is when I find a book that is worth it, and that's rare. So maybe there have been 20 books total out of the six or 8,000 that I own, most of which I've read. Uh, there have been about 20 books total that I have written uh, 15 to 20 page summary of. And then after that, I write what I call a one pager. And that's usually a page front and back. And I use uh, text boxes or graphics or whatever to capture uh, every chapter of the book and how the argument flows and very easy to kind of commit it to memory. And then you carry those books around with you in your head. And so that might be for some of you out there in podcast land, that might be a book on leadership that's especially good. Or maybe it's just a chapter in a book. 
Yeah. Uh, but memorization, committing things to memory. And then finally, I would say that uh, my talks that I give, I usually just basically memorize the content and either use no notes at all or just the, kind of an outline. And it's very helpful to have uh, these big content blocks of information in your mind because as you're leading and persuading people, you don't, you're, you don't need your mind racing to try to figure out the content of what you're going to say next. Yeah. You know, you, you want to be comfortable with that content so that what you can do is make a connection with the people in the room and persuade them that your, your emotional margin is a lot bigger. It, um, your, your ability to connect emotionally, uh, not just emotionally, uh, just uh, to, to connect with people in a room is enhanced if you have plenty of intellectual margin left over. If, you, if you're not spending all of your intellectual margin paying attention to your notes or trying to figure out uh, content. So yeah. big fan of memorization. That's super interesting. I feel like a lot of times when, whenever I have a public speaking um, engagement or might be teaching or preaching, uh, sometimes my notes, they don't, they turn, they turn, they're not acting as a supplement for me. They're more of like, I'm tied to them, you know? Um, and you can kind of like fake your way into it a little bit, but it's noticeable if you're tied to your notes. It really is. It's noticeable. Um, so that's really, I've heard that some concepts, similar concepts like that before, Bruce. Well, what is your favorite app on your phone right now? Well, I'm, I'm going to change your question slightly. And my favorite function on the phone is the power off function. <laughs> my second favorite function is the notifications off function. Mm. Uh, but if you're talking apps, I think Amazon Books and Amazon Music. Mm -hmm. Amazon Books, because I love to read. And, um, you know, Amazon is the behemoth. It's putting it out of business. So many local businesses, but I still use it because, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. We you know, can arrive on my doorstep, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. And then yep. Amazon Music. You know, I've found that uh, at different points in my life, music is especially helpful. And um, it's a we we. It's a blessing that we live in an era where we can just stream any, really any kind of music you want and for a pretty reasonable price. Last album you listened to on Amazon Music? Yeah, uh, Ren Collective. It's an Irish uh, worship band, and I love yeah. their stuff. And then also discovered a country music star, uh, Chris Stapleton, and uh, whose uh, stuff I really – I like his voice, and he uh, – yeah, really – Okay, Bruce. Bruce. Okay, Bruce. Chris Stapleton. Okay, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the best book you've read in the past six months? Um, I think the best I've read is by Carl Truman. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And what he argues, and he's right, is that the premier American religion, the premier belief that is held religiously by people, in other words, the the dominating, commandeering belief of many, if not most Americans, is that the point of life is to be authentic and that the way to be an authentic person is to align your life with your deepest desires. And the way to be an authentic society is to, is to applaud other people for aligning their life with whatever their deepest desire is. I think this is terrible advice. It's a terrible way to live. That what scripture teaches us is we should be very cynical about our deepest desires. Because mm. our deepest desires are usually skew pretty heavily in the wrong direction. Right. We desire things in a manner out of proportion to their significance, which is to say we idolize. We take something in life that is not God and we absolutize that thing. We make a God out of it. We ascribe ultimacy to it. 
And then it, uh, it has a, a towering presence in our life and shapes us in ways that it shouldn't shape us. And so um, I think we should be very careful following our deepest desires. We should question our deepest desires. As a society, we certainly should not automatically applaud people for aligning their lives to their deepest desires. We should uh, gently persuade them not to in many cases or most cases. Hmm. Well, Bruce, last, last question for you. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm. Proverbs 9, 10. You want to be wise? Fear God. How do you fear God? By realizing, by submitting yourself to his living word. The Bible says over and over again, for us to hear the word of the Lord. It rarely says to read it. That's not against reading, but the, when you switch the metaphor from um, uh, visual to audio, uh, the, the hearing the word of the Lord, when you hear it spoken by another person or even by yourself, you speak it out loud that it, it reminds you that, that uh, God's word is the living words of a living Lord, that he is alive and that these Words of scripture, words of God, have a, uh, a sway over us and ought to. And so for any leader, just remember that the fear of the Lord, and that includes our respect for God's word, is the beginning of wisdom. Mm. Uh, you give me goosebumps here because I, I literally wrote that in my journal this morning. <laughs> I came across a scripture, Proverbs 23, 15 through 16. My son, if your heart is wise my heart will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. And uh, it, it brought me back to that, to that sentence, that saying that you just gave us, you know, or that verse, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of the end goals for us and as leaders, so as a young leader listening to this, is for us to have wisdom. Um, and when we have wisdom, like the father in this Proverbs to the son, when we have his wisdom, our heart is wise, the father's heart will be glad. So Bruce, thank you so much, man, for saying that. I think that's something we can continually lean on in, in a really loud culture right now, like a really, a lot of shoutings going on right now. Um, but the word of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. So thanks for sharing that with us today, Bruce. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to be on the show. I really, really appreciate what you guys are doing. Love well, it. Once again, Bruce, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review to help other leaders like yourself find the podcast. See you next week. Peace. Peace.